Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. And whether you're live on our Moss Road campus or live streaming, always, always glad to connect with you. You're going to be seeing some more videos like that over the next four weeks of this series, which we are calling Happily Ever After, moving from uh, pretty weddings to beautiful marriages. And today, as the series uh, launches, today's message is called The Origin Story of Matrimony, and it comes uh, from the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate Genesis chapter 2 and verses 18 through 25. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. And you may have a Bible that looks like this. It may be on your phone, however you have brought that Bible, locate it. If you didn't bring a Bible and it's not on your phone, the words are going to be up on the screen at just the right time. And that's really important to us that you're able to see the scripture for yourself because we believe that the, the biblical library, the words contained in the library we call the Bible, we believe that in this miraculous, mysterious way, God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible really is inspired, eternal, and true. And because we believe, you may not believe that yet, and that's okay, but because we do in leadership here, we do something as a church to solidify that, something kind of strange. We lift the Bible up at this church. And if you've never been here before, you've never tuned in before, you're like, there's phones and books and stuff in the air. This is just odd. Well, we admit it. We confess. Yes, it is odd. It's unusual. But we've decided this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, we're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for his power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? And before I say another word, let's pray and pray with me and pray for me. So God, thank you. Thank you for your word, for this privilege, even for this series. And, and Lord, I pray that you would uh, just radically, dramatically increase in this message. I am powerless without you. But thank you, Lord, because of you, I am never helpless. In Jesus' name, amen. So this series is called Happily Ever After, and it's about marriage it's about moving from pretty weddings, which take a day, to beautiful marriages, which last a lifetime. And, and as we think about marriage, it really occurs to me that, that in North America, at least, we have sort of some odd metaphors for marriage. We have some strange symbols that we use for marriage. Like maybe our favorite that we use in talking about marriage is, hello, this. Some of you guys in the room, you've been to a bachelor party or 10 that describe marriage as the old ball and chain. That really makes you want to run up the aisle and get married today, doesn't it? And, and, and even maybe slightly less visual or visceral about marriage is we talk about getting hitched. Well, do you know where getting hitched comes from? It comes from the 1500s when in Europe they were domesticating horses and the horses just wanted to run free and they had to hitch their horses they were domesticating to the wagons to make sure that those horses became beasts of burden without any kind of freedom at all. And, and so that's really appealing in talking about marriage. The, the horse wants to be free, yearns to be free, but nope, you're gonna be a beast of burden. And we, we well, that's what marriage is 
like, or even, even when we, you, you might've heard people say this, well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm settling down and getting married. But we all know settling down really just means I'm settling for, because what the person would really rather be doing is still catting around. Well, we're settling down. All these metaphors and symbols for marriage diminish it so much. And then, and then there's this definition that I came across that I just had to share with you all. And it's going to be up on the screen. Marriage is like a game of chess, except the board is flowing water. The pieces are made of smoke and no move you make will have any effect on the outcome. Well, thanks, thanks a lot for that. Sign me up. And maybe, maybe some of you in the house and some of you tuning in live stream and you're single and those understandings of marriage are exactly why you are single because you, you've heard that that's what it's like and you don't want any part of it. Or maybe, maybe you grew up in the middle of a marriage that didn't work your child a divorce and you don't want to repeat that story and then maybe others of you and you were married but you're not married now and you think back on your marriage and you're like yeah that is what it was like I did have the I, I wanted to be a wild horse running free and, and, and now that I'm not hitched anymore I, I kind of feel like I have more freedom and I don't really miss it and maybe that's you and then a large number of you and you are married and and maybe marriage hasn't turned out to be exactly what you thought it would be and you're not sure where you stand with the future of that marriage because you, you signed up for marriage and you were looking for the ideal. Pretty soon it turned into an ordeal. And if things don't get better, you're gonna be looking for a new deal. And so, yeah, in light of all of the, our, our, our attitudes towards marriage, our symbols for marriage, in light of all of that, if I believe that it makes sense to look at the Bible's origin story for matrimony. And the, and the Bible's origin story for matrimony is, is something that we find in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, chapter Two, now some of you have a pretty good familiarity with the Bible. Others of you know almost nothing about it. Hey, either way is okay. We understand. We're so glad that you're here. But, but the thing about Genesis chapter one and chapter two, and chapter three for that matter, these are the parts of the Bible that everybody knows and nobody's read. <laughs> and when you actually read them, they're about so much more than the folklore we've been told they're about. They're, they, these, these sections of the Bible of Genesis are filled with such marvelous detail and such incredible insights. And as you may know and may not know, but I'm going to tell you either way, Genesis 1 is, is the, we, we see the, the God of cosmic power, the, the God of outer space, the God of grandeur, let there be light, boom. And there was light. And Genesis 2 is so different. It's the God of the garden. It's the God of intimacy. It is the God of the granular. Genesis 1 is really is the shout. And Genesis 2 is the whisper. And as we get to the end of Genesis 2, we, we, we see that that. All is right, almost all is right in paradise with one exception. The, the man has been created from dust. I told you it's the God of the granular. He's been created from dust. 
but he lacks one thing. Look at what it says in chapter two, verse 18, book of Genesis. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Isn't that interesting? This is before sin. This is before Adam, Eve, fruit, bite, sin. And yet before there is sin, there's still a need for redemption. But, but before, before there's so much disharmony entering into the human race, there's already a note and a need for harm. Really, God needs to make a good creation even gooder by making a helper for the man. And in verses 19 and 20 of, of Genesis chapter two, the man names all of the animals. We, we don't get that broken down into great detail. That would have taken a long time. But at the very end of verse 20, the last sentence of verse 20, look at what it says. But for Adam, the man, no suitable helper was found. So he still is alone. There's, there's still a little bit of trouble in paradise. And look what God does next. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Oh my goodness. You know what this is? This is the first surgery. <laughs> There's anesthesia, caused the man to go into deep sleep. There's incision. There's cleaning up at the end. He closed up the womb. This is the first surgery. I told you the Bible is so much more interesting when you actually read it. And look what happens as a result of the first surgery in verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. So there's first surgery leading to first woman and he brings the woman to the man, tuck that away. It means I'm coming back to it later. It means everything in this story. He brought the woman to the man. And, and so we got first surgery, we got first couple. And then look at verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. You, you know, these are, these are the man's first recorded words. Now he apparently spoke someone who was naming all those animals, but they're not recorded. This story has his first recorded words. So all these first, first surgery, first couple, first words, and it all leads to this conclusion of kind of the most dramatic of all the firsts right here in verse 24, look at what it says. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Well, you know what that is? Hello, it's the first marriage. And not only is it the first marriage, think about it this way, Good Shepherd. Marriage is the first institution that God creates. Before he creates government, before he creates schools, before he creates church, before he creates synagogue, before he creates the Phil Collins fan club, before he creates any of that stuff, he creates marriage. And more than that, more than that, we, we, we get this glimpse of the first marriage and the first institution. Look at all the verbs, the, the, the verbs that are ascribed to God in, in, this, in this section. God caused, God took, God closed, God made, God brought. All of these verbs are so intimate. They're so delicate. 
If the, the verbs in Genesis 1, macro creation, let there be light, boom, light. The verbs of Genesis 2 are, are these verbs of micro devotion, micro commitment, such tender, delicate care God uses throughout all of it. And best of all, best of all, I told you I was coming back to this, where it says, he brought her to the man. He made the woman and brought her to the man. Do you know what that means, good shepherd? God gave the first bride away. Those of you who are fathers and you've had this unspeakable privilege of being able to walk a daughter down the aisle, you know what that means. And those of you who are daughters and you've been walked down that aisle, you know what an honor that is. And all of that started, all of that tradition started because God gave the first bride away. And we see all the delicate, tender care that God brings to the marriage. It's the first surgery. It's the first couple, the first words, the first marriage, the first institution. And you see just how vital marriage is to God's heart. And we, we in the 21st century, we dare to compare marriage to a ball and chain. We dare to refer to it as getting hitched. We think it's settling down down, which we really know means settling. How dare we? And so as we begin this whole series, happily ever after moving from pretty weddings to beautiful marriages, where, where we're going to be parked in this origin story of matrimony for four weeks, it really leads to a question that I just need to ask. And it's a question I'm going to be asking throughout this message. And I want you asking throughout this coming week. And it's this, what if you paid? What if you showed the same tender care for your marriage that God did for the first one? What if, what if instead of looking at marriage as an obligation and a burden, you were able to bring the awe and the wonder that God has for marriage, that, that he elevates marriage by making it his first institution and he gives the first bride away. And what if we brought that same sense of wonder to the marriages that are part of our lives? What if you showed the same tender, loving care for your marriage that God did for the first one? Now I know some of you right now, you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not married. This doesn't have anything to do with me. Think again. It actually, those of you who are single and single again, it actually has more to do with you than with anyone else. Because so many people who are single and single again, I'm just gonna make a prediction, a large percent of you, percentage of you will at some point join the ranks of the married in the future. And at Good Shepherd, we just believe passionately that people need to be preparing themselves before they ever promise themselves. Because here's something that I know, I've been, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and here's something that I know from observing marriages, and, and I've been married for 37 and here's something I know from living in a marriage and, and observing marriages and counseling marriages for, for all, the year, all those years. You, you read it, you can nod. Do you want to know what I have learned from? Please nod. I mean, my, I'm just in so much insecurity up here and I need you to be nodding. And we can't wait for you to tell us, Talbot. Tell us, tell us. No, it's a, people, 
people don't have marriage problems. People have problems. People have problems that predate marriage by years and years and years. And they don't get those problems dealt with in a meaningful, healthy way. And they bring her problems into marriage and his problems into marriage. And voila, they collide and they have problems that they erroneously think were caused by marriage. No, marriage didn't make those. It might have magnified them, but it didn't create them. People don't have marriage. So if you're single or you're single again, you need to hear marriage messages about marriage more than anyone because you need to be preparing yourself for, hey, before you promise yourself. If you're single, single again, I want you to make a list. If you are married, do not make this list. <laughs> but if, if you're single or single again, I want you to, to make a list of everything you would want in an ideal mate. And it's likely, it'll likely include things like loves Jesus. By the way, if that's not first on the list, I'm, I'm not kidding. That's not first on the list. You, you need to make a new list. Amen. Loves Jesus. Financially stable. Physically fit. Heal, healing from past wounds, because we all have them. Not a long talker. <laughs> Unselfish. Would you stop this elbowing that I'm seeing all over? You make that list of everything you want in an ideal mate and then become that list. Spend a whole, a whole lot less time looking for the mate and a whole lot more time becoming the mate. Because guess what? When you spend more time becoming that person who is fit, who is financially stable, who loves Jesus, who knows when to shut up and so you're not a long talker, you become, you spend time becoming that person and you know what happens? You will attract that kind of person. Like attracts like. That's just the way that life works. You spend less time becoming, less time looking and more time becoming. And for some of you, yeah, it, it may involve joining a gym or taking a financial course. Or going to therapy. For a lot of you, honestly, it'll take going to therapy. Because we, we all, there, there's no one here who doesn't have wounds. And those wounds need to be dealt with before they begin to infect the marriage. And yeah, it will involve joining a, a life group here at church and joining a serve team and, and growing more deeply in love with Jesus. Uh, I'm so glad we're doing a group's launch today. And one of the groups that we're launching is called Vertical Marriage. And it's a grow group, a start date and an end date. What a great way for, for you who are thinking about being married and those of you who are already married. Man, what a great group to sign up for out in the brief. You see how everything is connected to this church is, yeah. And, and as long as we're talking about becoming rather than finding, it's a whole matter of discipline, purity. Because here's, here's what I know. Nobody wants walking to them towards them down that aisle. No, nobody or, or, or nobody wants to be walking towards down that aisle is someone, you know, nobody making this list says, I, I just, I want to partner with a whole lot of, 
intimate experiences in their background. Whole mess of sexual partners. That's what I want coming to me down the aisle. Says no one ever. Well, as long as you don't want to marry that, don't be that. And you're able to enjoy God's gift of intimacy in the one realm where God blesses it. And that is within a marriage between a man and a woman. And that's why that old line, well, I'm just sowing some wild oats. You know, I, I hear guys say that and maybe girls say it too. They just don't say it to me. I'm, I'm sowing, sowing some my wild oats. That's such a lie. Because those oats that you sow come up as weeds and they hollow you out. They empty you out from experiencing God's gift of sex in the one realm where God blesses it and makes it beautiful. And that is in that marriage. What if you paid, what if you showed the same tender care for your marriage that God did for the first one? Because then I know that for some of you and, and, and maybe you were married before and you're, you're, you're not married now and so much of your life and so many of your experiences just sort of snapped into focus and, and you realize, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I didn't, really, I didn't realize God established marriage as the first institution. I didn't understand that he gave the first bride away. I thought marriage was about me. I thought it was my idea. And all of a sudden you realize, well, that's why it all blew up. Because I thought it was there to make me happy. And I thought I was the one who had invented it. And if that's you, God has brought you to this place today so that you might have your eyes open to what his really grand design for marriage back then was, what it will be in the future, what it always will be. And, and for those of you, and you, you're really wrestling, man. I'm in a marriage now and, and yeah, I, I kind of get, Talbot, I kind of get what you're saying that I need to be showing some more tender, loving care towards it, but, but I just don't know if I can do it. I, 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 I just, I, I don't understand. You know, the good news, if God designed marriage, God can restore marriage. And I have to believe I have to believe that one way God restores marriage is by reminding us of its purpose. And we think its purpose is to make us happy, to make us content, and God comes along, no, 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 no. I have created marriage as the first institution because I knew, I knew, God says, that putting a man and a woman in this often messy, complicated, difficult relationship called marriage that there is no better way to put the covenant love that Jesus has for the church on display. That's what God says. It's what, what Ephesians says in the New Testament, that, that marriage is to display the love that Jesus has for the church. Is the church always worthy of Jesus's love? No. Is your mate always worthy of yours? No. Are you always worthy of your mates? Blank no. You're... you're <laughs> And yet God knew, God knew this is how I'm putting the covenant love that Jesus has for the church on vivid, permanent display. For those of you, and you're wondering, can, 
can this thing work out? Now I know there, there are those handful of times where there's a marriage that dishonors God and diminishes one or both of the partners and those, those marriages have their well-deserved funeral. I've, I've, I've been there, it's sad. But on the other hand, I've, I've had a front row seat to so many marriages who were, they were in that crisis point at year seven or year 10 or year 21. And somehow, somehow they navigated their time through it. And they understood that their marriage reflected Jesus's love for the church. And they understood that and they navigated their way through it. And they got to that place. And now they're on the other side of it, looking back and they look back on their survival of a marriage with so much contentment and so much gratitude. I want that for the people of this church. It makes me think of the guy who dropped by my office a couple of years ago and he just said glumly, I haven't treasured my wife. Well, guess what? Now he does. And that marriage is strong. And the reason he does is because he's discarded all those wrong metaphors for marriage and started asking the right question. What if you showed the same tender care for your marriage that God did for the first one? Let's pray. So God, very specifically, I give you every person within the sound of my voice, who has been married and still has scars, heal, redeem, prepare. For every person not yet married, but may well be in the future, God, use this time and these words to instill in them a deep appreciation for the beauty of your first institution. And Lord, for those who are married within the sound of my voice, I ask that they would come to this radical understanding that yeah, that pretty wedding lasted a day, but this beautiful marriage lasts a lifetime to the glory of God. It lasts a lifetime. In your name we pray, amen.